church. We're so excited you're here worshiping with us today. Hey, whether you're watching online or you're right here with us at Kentucky Trail, we invite you. We're going to worship God big. Let's stand to your feet and put those hands together. Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover.
worship with this new song. It's called Rest On Us, and it's just a beautiful, um, a beautiful picture of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible says he's our helper, he's our comforter, he's our source of power, our source of strength. He'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us.
Jesus paid it all for you, for me, for everyone here and across the world. Give him some praise for that. And 2 Corinthians tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That is a powerful promise, and it leads us into another wonderful Sunday here at Real Life Church. Welcome to Kentucky Trail if you're joining us in person. I'm also going to give a big welcome to those joining us digitally this morning. Can we wave back to the camera and wave to Real Life Church Online? Make them feel welcome. Let them hear you this morning. And as you turn back around, say hello to your neighbor, give them a wave or a high five, and find your seat. sitting back down, go ahead and grab that connection card. Do want to remind everyone, these connection cards are for everybody in the house. There is a spot for you on there, and we would encourage you all to fill out as much as you feel comfortable. And if you are new here this morning, first off, welcome. Uh, my name is Brandon. I serve on the connection team here. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more out in the hub after the gathering. Uh, but I'd invite you to check either that first time or second time here box. Uh, fill out that contact info as much as you feel comfortable, and, and we will follow up with you this week completely digitally and give you some more information about who we are at Real Life Church. Um, if you do call Real Life Home, there's a spot for you as well. Check that regularly attend and check out some of the next steps that we have uh, coming up here. And in two weeks, we'll be doing child dedications. Um, what a wonderful time to be celebrating those that we are committing to raising in light of the Lord. Um, so check that box if you're interested. Um, we also have a space for prayer requests. Uh, we pray over these cards every single week. And so if you'd write those down and pass, put those in the giving buckets when they pass later on in the gathering, and we will be praying over those this week. Well, here at Real Life, we're a church on mission, and that mission is to see people far from God discover their real life and purpose in Jesus. Because souls matter to God, we were all designed with a specific purpose in mind, and we live in a world right now that, you know, finding that purpose is harder than it has ever been. Um, when we're dealing with conflicts and every, everywhere we turn, it seems, in the world, uh, there's conflicts, whether it's actual physical, you know, violence going on in other countries across the world or, you know, some of the polarizing stuff we see in the media. Um, we're dealing with that stuff. And, and truth be told, they were dealing with that stuff back in the days of Jesus and the days following Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And so we're getting back into the book of Philippians today. Pastor John's going to lead us through chapter 2 of Philippians. I hope you all have been enjoying the Read Me Challenge, and I invite you all to let it read you today as we invite John to the stage. Good morning, guys. Oh, man, you guys having a good week? <laughs> Perfect. I love it. So... Oh, man, I just know God's got something special in store for us today. And uh, if you don't know, we're, we're at in a series. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Read Me. And this series has just been a, man, kind of a heartfelt reminder of the things of Christ. And we're challenging you guys to read the Bible and really get into a spot where you have a habit of reading the Bible consistently every single day uh, in your life. And it's really not designed so you can just read the Bible. 
Uh, we don't read the, just for the sake of reading. Uh, we want to align our hearts around Jesus, uh, align our strength around Jesus, uh, align our lives for eternity. And uh, you think about Jesus, uh, when we fell, like we've, we've moved, Jesus is a constant, right? And we're the variable. Uh, and so we're reconciled to Christ. And so when you read the Bible, it's like you're putting your life under submission to Christ. And uh, it begins to transform your soul. And so if you're reading through uh, Philippians in this challenge, and if you haven't taken it, that's fine. You have a chance to take it today. Uh, it's all about coming under Jesus and seeing what God can do in your life. And so I want to encourage you guys, who brought your Bible today? If you've got your Bible, hold your Bible up. Come on, got your Bible, hold up high. Like, you, like, like man, this is, this is the words of life. Come on, perfect. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's, that's, that's all good. If you need one, we have on the, way, on the way out. You can share with the neighbor next to you. Come on, somebody. Open the word. Be like, this is what it is. Um, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 2.15 for one verse, and you can start trying to find that. Um, some of you guys know where it's at. Some of you won't. That's fine. Um, you'll figure it out. And then we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 the rest of the day and uh, really walking through the things of Christ. And uh, we've been this kind of season of, like, getting back into the Word. Not that we weren't in the Word, but not bringing it, like, physically. And uh, the reason once you bring this is so you can know where to find things. Uh, what's this Bible about? You know who wrote this story or uh, where this came from, what God's doing in here. And you can write notes in your Bible and uh, really just be a person of the book. And I believe that there's something special that happens when you get in the Word of God. Uh, my experience and stuff you see in Scripture, uh, when somebody's heart gets behind Jesus and hearts for God, it's amazing how God moves in their life, how God orchestrates amazing things. I think about Dan, uh, David in the Old Testament, right? A man whose heart was after God who saw after God and how God used them. I think of Ezra in the Old Testament. And if you haven't read Ezra, man, it's, it's, it's not gonna take long to read, but it is fantastic. And uh, Ezra didn't do anything really special in his life except for one really great thing. He uh, worked through the word of God. Uh, he was all over the Old Testament, just reading and knowing the law. And God promoted him. And Ezra's line that you see all the time through the book of Ezra is that the hand of God was on him. And I think what a great description for our life, Amen. Can you think of a better description for, for your life as the hand of God was on that person? I mean, that's like an epitaph kind of thing, right? I mean, here lies Sean Petrie, 5385 to 102323, and the dash of his life, the hand of God was on him. Come on, somebody. Like, I, I just think, man, what a great call to say, man, God's hand was on my life. And that's what happens when you read the scripture. All of a sudden, God begins to promote you, and God uses you for his will and his way. I'll say this, and this is maybe a... Um, Surprising statement. It's definitely a bold statement. Uh, I would say if you say, man, I love Jesus, or I say, man, I fear God, but you don't read the Bible, I would say you, you don't truly love Jesus and you don't really fear God if you're not reading the Bible. Now, for most people, it's like, oh, man, you know, and I've been in that boat, right? You've been in those seasons where you're like, okay, I got to, I hear you, pastor, you know, I got to get in the word of God. Uh, but the reality is the Bible says if you love him, you keep his commands, and so if you don't know the commands, how, how do you say you really love God? It'd be like listening to your father, your earthly father, and just being like, I don't want to listen to it. Like we walk with Jesus and we spend time with Jesus. And uh, for a lot of people, they want the, the hand of blessing of God, but they really don't want God. It, it's like you, you want the fruit, right? You want delight in the fruit of God without doing the devotion. And I think for so many people that are on the outside looking in at Christianity, they're like, man, I just don't know if it's real because I just don't see Christians really being that devoted. Like, I don't see Christians, like, living out this strong faith. And for a lot of Christians, this, we never get in the Bible. And so this is a call for us uh, to get ground in our faith. This is a call for us to get back in the Word of God. Uh, it's a call for us to, to do more than just show up to church, uh, to do more than wearing the cool Christian T-shirt or the cross uh, or speak Christianese. 
Um, this is a call for us to walk one-on-one with our Savior, amen? This is a call to do something deep for our souls that Jesus wants to do in your life is willing to do in your life. You know, for so many Christians, they, they read the books, not this one, but they read the, all the other books, right? And they're not bad, but it's not a replacement. Uh, for some people, just listen to podcasts and, and, you, and you just go on Sunday, but to actually pick the Bible up for yourself, that's, that's a treasure, amen? This is what God has for you. So I would encourage you, if, get in the Bible. See what God has for you. Think about the disciples and, and their devotion. They could stay up all night to fish, but they couldn't stay up for an hour to pray. And for so many of us, our faith needs to get a lot deeper. And I'm one, I'm the same boat, right? No pun intended, right? But, but we need to get deeper in our faith because we gotta be able to stand firm in, in really the culture and the lives that we're living. And so I would encourage you guys, man, get in the word of God. So we're gonna be in 2 Timothy 2.15. Um, I've used this verse quite often in recent weeks and stuff. But uh, if you got your Bible flipped there, 2 Timothy 2.15, we're gonna read through this. So what it says about our walk with God. It says, do your best to present. Uh, if you're like a KJV guy, like going old school, it says study yourself. We just go back to that. Um, to God is one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So I thought about that, and I thought, if you got this Bible, now my first Bible was actually given to me by somebody when I first showed up to church, and it was called the Rainbow Study Bible. <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> so uh, I still got that Bible. Um, but when you get this Bible, it, it's, imagine if you found a treasure map. Like if this was a treasure map, like how would you hold on to it? Or if this was a user manual for your life, and if you're like a lot of blue collar guys, you, you read or try to read, if you have to, the manual, right? Like you gotta know how it works. Imagine if this was sitting down with a meal with God himself. Imagine if somebody uh, didn't understand something and you need to give them advice to how to live their life. Imagine if somebody was lost and need to know the way. Well, the good news is um, it is written, amen? It's written right here in the book. Uh, you can get in this Bible and it's gonna show you the way to heaven through Jesus and John 14, six, right? He's the way, truth, and life. No man comes to Father but through him. Like it is written down for you. This is a treasure map to the kingdom of God. It's a treasure map to heaven. It's a user manual for life, all these things. And so we should be holding on to this book for dear life, amen? Our life should be built on this. This shouldn't be an afterthought or just a Sunday morning. This should be the centerpiece of our life. And so today, uh, I wanna encourage you guys to get in the scripture. Some of you guys had the opportunity. We did the Read Me Challenge. We're in the middle of it. If you haven't started yet, just start today. It's no bad day to start it. And what that is, is just reading through the book of Philippians and do it every day for 30 days and then try to memorize some verses out of Philippians. I encourage you to do four verses, one through each chapter. And so for you guys, uh, how many of you guys are taking the challenge? You guys taking the Read Me Challenge a little bit out there? Some of you are like this. That's like yes-ish, and this is like, yeah, I'm all in. Um, for those of you taking the challenge, um, many of you guys seeing a difference in your life? You can get more excited than that. You guys feeling a difference in your life? Yeah, okay, we're going to work on that, you know. Oh, man. But you see this Holy Spirit start moving in your life, and things start stripping away, and you start seeing things that in front of your face the whole time and start shaping your soul. Uh, some of you guys we are memorizing verses. We challenge you to work on some verses. Um, how many guys are working on verses? You guys trying to memorize scripture? Put those hands up really high, like really high. Hold on, don't put them down. I'm, I'm, I'm counting count, okay? I'm just gonna do it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I don't know if I did these guys, so ish. Okay, um, that's awesome. 
Um, and I'll come back to that. That's really good. So I'm proud of you guys for, for working on that, trying it out. How do you guys have the confidence in, in it doesn't have to be perfect, okay? Because trust me, I've barfed up a lot of verses, you know what I'm saying? Um, but how do you guys have, feel confident enough, man, I, I could probably share something I've memorized. Anybody feel that way? Got a couple? All right, anybody willing to come up here and share? I'm serious. I'll stop preaching if you guys want to keep sharing memorized verses. Every Sunday, you just come up here and line up and just share it. I memorize this verse that God said to me in my life. I think it would be way better than the message I'm preaching. Anybody want to give it a shot? There's conviction happening. Just need one. Just only need one. All right, David. Come on, get for David. Come on, buddy. I mean, I'll take the easy one. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, David. Give it up for David. Come on now. That's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. And, uh, you know, there's, there is some really easy ones in there. But what's cool is you have that verse in your life uh, for eternity. And uh, we started this series. I asked the question, how many of you guys have memorized a scripture in the last six months? And uh, in this gathering, there was two people that raised their hands. Two people out of everybody in six months. Now, the reality is if you haven't memorized a verse in six months, you, you probably memorize a verse in six years, right? Because it's just, it's a habit of not doing anything with it. And so today, uh, we have over 20 people memorizing scripture. Come on, somebody. In two weeks. That's amazing. Give it up for yourselves. Give it for Jesus. That's incredible. I mean, think about the gain that has happened. We've had two people in six months, and we've got 20 people in, in two weeks, and uh, actually making headway. And, of course, there's a huge gap in front of us. But to know that scripture and put it in your heart, it's like a tool. It's a weapon uh, you can use for the cause of Christ the rest of your life. And so I appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, stay faithful doing that. And um, it's amazing to see how God's moving in your guys' hearts. Uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in the, um, this chapter the rest of the time today. And we're going to walk through um, what this looks like for our lives. Uh, we're going to do a lot of teaching out of this chapter. Uh, I'm like heavy application typically as a preacher, so I'm just like driving it home to how to live it out every day. This series, we're going to just go deep. And so there will be some application, but uh, I'm just going to walk through like what's this word mean? How do we get this? What's this look like? Uh, just walking through. So I encourage you to take some notes. If you've got your Bible, there's a pen on your seat. Just it's okay to write in your Bible. Come on, somebody. And uh, write down with some of the stuff that, um, that I'm going to show you guys. And so it kind of locks some depths in the scripture. And so uh, you guys ready to walk through Philippians chapter 2? Get, get a little deep today. So um, we're going to pick up. We're actually start in chapter 127, kind of launch ramp into this, right, a little running start. And this was uh, Paul's exhortation section. This is where he's basically like, hey, man, this is how you live it out. Uh, this is how I urge you to have about this truth you found in Scripture. And remember, the, the main theme of Philippians was that your love would abound more and more so you could discern what's best and you can uh, understand what it is to be pure and blameless and have fruit of righteousness. And so in the midst of suffering, uh, we can see what it is to follow God. We can discern the truth and really live it out. And so this culture, they're suffering for Christ. They're being arrested and beaten, thrown to prison just like Paul was. And he encouraged them in 127. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves uh, like a citizen in heaven in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I, whenever I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you will stand firm. And that's, that's an important piece of the scripture, that you'll stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith in the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That you almost look your enemy eye to eye in the face and say, hey, I'm not afraid of you, man. You might kill the body, but not the soul. He said, this is a sign to them that they'll be destroyed, but that you'll be saved in that by God. Verse 29, 
who has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear I still have. Since you're still suffering together like Paul was when he suffered and he's writing us from prison, he said it's a blessing to be united to Christ in salvation, but it's also a blessing to be united in Christ in his suffering. And so what he's saying is don't back down, stand firm in the gospel, advance the gospel. Don't, don't be a church on its heels. Uh, don't be a church that retreats from things of Christ, but stand firm in the culture, be united to Christ in his suffering. So it picks up chapter two. Uh, he's really walking through what it looks like to stand firm in that suffering. And so he says in verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement, like you have any, the word for encouragement, any, any comfort, any consolation from being united with Christ, which there's a lot of consolation and comfort being united to Christ. But if you have any, any comfort from his love, and this love is this, as if God leaned in and whispered a word of counsel into your heart. If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, uh, which we all share the same Holy Spirit. And so he's just saying, if you have any of these things, any tenderness and compassion, then Paul says, make my joy what? Make my joy, make my joy complete. Like live it out, like make me proud, like fill my cup to the brim with joy by being, what's it say? Yeah, like-minded. And this is a theme you're gonna see all throughout chapter two, be, be like-minded. And what he means is having a continual habitual attitude and thinking the same way, be united in Christ, be united in his suffering. He says, be united and like-minded of having the same love, the sacrifice that Christ shown, uh, by being in one spirit, that idea of one spirit is pretty awesome. It means one soul, uh, be, being knit together in common harmony in one mind and singular purpose. So what he's saying is in the midst of suffering, if there's anything Christ has done in your life, if there's any encouragement found in his spirit and his love, be like-minded to that end and be unified under your suffering. And I think about like 9-11. And I remember the days after 9-11 where like every person flew an American flag Remember the saying, united we, we stand. And uh, we were all the same banner. Like we knew what evil looked like. Like we, we all united together. It didn't matter what was gonna happen. We we're gonna do it together. And that, to me, that's just like the tip of the iceberg of what Paul is saying to the unity we should have as Christians when we walk through suffering. And so he says, if you're gonna survive as, as Christians and you're gonna make it through the other side of this world and all the pain you walk through, you're gonna do it together. Amen. You're going to walk in hand in hand with each other, being like-minded like Christ. So if there's any encouragement, be like-minded, be unified. And verse 3 tells the opposite. He says, do nothing. He says, don't even think the thoughts out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of rivalry. Don't do anything out of partisanship. Don't do anything out of party squabbles. Uh, don't pull your own direction. Don't be in pursuit of your own power or your own profit. And it picks up, said, don't do anything out of vain conceit. And that word for vain conceit, I love this idea of personal glory. Uh, don't do anything for your own ambition, for, to promote your own reputation or put your name in lights. Another word for vain conceit would be empty glory uh, or it would be vain glory. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in what? In, yeah, in humility. Like this is that call that nobody wants to take, right? In humility. This word for humility means to recognize your own insufficiency, that you're really not that special, that we don't have it all together, that we're not perfect, that we're insufficient, but by God's sufficiency in Christ, 
because he is in our lives. We're not just depressed people. But in our humility, recognize our own weakness, we value and we count other count others above ourselves. We value others more important than ourselves. In fact, it says in Ephesians 5.21, we submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now, that's actually a picture of marriage is what that's written out of. And verse, verse 4 says this, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But isn't it incredible that this call and suffering, and when it gets difficult and maybe there's wars going on or rumors of war and the situations we may see even across the world today, in the midst of the suffering that happens in the world and our lives, the first thing we should do is humble ourselves and value other people above ourselves. Not, not do we put away our interests, but we put their interests above our interests. He says, have one mind, be united together in humility, do we look for one another and look out for one another. Now I think about, maybe that's maybe the issue with churches is that maybe people don't feel like other people value them more than themselves. Like maybe that's the issue with people coming to church is they don't necessarily feel that type of love. And I'm not saying that's our church, but we've all been to a church or had the experience of church, maybe had a Sunday at church where you showed up and nobody really noticed you. Like nobody really took much interest in you. And as a church, we should be so interested in souls of people, so interested when somebody brings somebody through our door or we meet somebody on the sidewalk or somebody walks up to our house to buy something from our Facebook thing. Like we should be so interested in people to share Jesus, amen? They should feel that kind of love because we are submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves and watching the back of other people. We're getting their six. In other words, we said this last week, we are predisposed to be at other people's disposal as Christians. They were putting their needs above our needs. If you think of an org chart for Christianity, it would look so very simple. It would say God, others, self. You ever see the I am second videos? I would say I am third. Like you're submissive, not just to Christ, but you're submissive to others. But in the name of Jesus, so that your words have effect. Philippians 2, 5 and 11, man, this is probably like, Man, when I, when I had to preach this chapter, I knew this would be like kind of the heaviest part of the chapter. This is a very famous uh, piece of scripture. And so we'll walk through it. But five says this, in your relationship with, another, with one another, have the same what? Yeah, mindset. Here's that mindset coming up over and over again. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so what he's saying is as you humbly submit, let me give you an illustration of what it looks like to humbly submit to others and put others' interests above yourself. Let's just talk about Christ. Let's talk about the mindset of Christ. This is how concerned you should be to look out for one another as Jesus has looked out for you. And he's gonna walk through what it looks like as Jesus looked out for us. So six through 11 is a poem. In the Bible, this is actually would have been a hymn that was most likely sung at the early churches. And it's really this great picture of Jesus's death. It's a picture of Jesus' incarnation. It's a Jesus' picture of love for us. It's just, it's an amazing piece of scripture that so many people have thought through. And if you've never read it before, you're gonna get it today. And it's just so powerful. But this is how we're to look out for one another. This is how we're supposed to put others' interest above ourselves. Verse six, this is all about Jesus. Who being in very nature God. So Jesus, and when it says in the nature of God, it's saying he had a continual nature as God. That he's always been God. It speaks of his eternality, that his deity was always from the beginning. And because of his deity and how he's equal to God, it says he did not consider equality with God. And that word equality with God, it means that Jesus wasn't always the same as God. In every single way, the same size, the same quality, the same quantity, the same character, the same nature. In every sense, Jesus was every sense God. Amen? This is important to understand. So he had all the power of God, 
He was actually better than us. We can't walk around and be judgmental, right, and say we're better than people. But Jesus, in every sense, was better than us. Amen? He says, equal with God. And we're not God. But he said this. He said, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage. So even though he was better, even though he was bigger and smarter and had owned everything, in control of everything, he didn't use it for himself. I said this about it, although Christ has all the rights and privileges and honor as God, Jesus did not hold on to them. His attitude, his mindset was to give them up for a season to serve humanity. And Jesus didn't use his equality with God to snatch or gain power from us, but to look out for humanity's interest that he died on the cross for us. Verse seven, so it says, let me just read the whole scripture. Who being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as own advantage. Rather, verse seven, he made himself, what's the word? Made himself, he made himself nothing. Now that is a strange word about somebody's life. And, and that word nothing, it means to be emptied. In the Greek, it's the word kenosis. And there's a theologist called the kenosis of Christ. And so if you ever study that, this is what it's talking about. But he emptied himself. It's the only way he'd become a human being was to empty himself. And I'll say this, he didn't exchange deity for humanity. Jesus didn't, wasn't God and said he became a human. He didn't just delete his deity. He, he basically renounced parts of his deity. He lowered attributes of his deity. Think about stuff that Jesus had to do to become human. He left behind his heavenly glory. I mean, he was a centerpiece of heaven, right? You have God on the throne, Jesus at the right hand. He's being worshiped uh, day and night for all of eternity. He leaves all the riches of heaven, all the glory of heaven. He leaves a face-to-face relationship with his father to come into a manger. He left his independent authority where he speaks and therefore it is. And he fully submitted himself to the will of his father. Think about the eternal riches for an earthly manger. This is how Jesus lowered himself and emptied himself to come to our world, to display not his deity, but his humanity, his love for us, the God-man Christ Jesus. For no personal gain, again, a king exchanges kingly robes for earthly sackcloth. Isn't it amazing to think about the God of the universe that do that for us? We talk about valuing other people. There's no greater example than Jesus. It says he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He had all the essentials of humanity yet without sin. And this isn't just God wrapped in skin. This isn't just like Jesus put on a cloak of skin. And it's not just a human putting on a cloak of God, but it's fully God and fully man at the same time that God would enter into our world because he loved us enough to come as a human. It says in verse eight, being found in the appearance of man, this whole section moves into his humanity, but he found his appearance of man, he what? He, he humbled himself. So a minute ago, Paul said, hey, we need to humble ourselves and look out for other people's interests. And he said, let me tell you about Jesus who didn't take advantage of his own interests, but looked out for others. And then he humbled himself. And this is how he humbled himself. This, he made himself so low. Think about this. He, he lowered himself, not just to the incarnation, not just to coming as a human, not just be born in a, in a manger, never had a home or a house, not just the incarnation, but to suffer. Remember Jesus suffering on the cross? And on that cross, he, he didn't demand human rights. He didn't make an appeal process, right? Matter of fact, he, he didn't even demand supernatural rights. He, he didn't demand for angels to come down and wipe out humanity. No, he subjected himself to persecution and suffering. 
he humbled himself to becoming what your Bible says right there, to become obedient to the point of death. Man, what great humility Jesus led as example for us. And think about this point of death, this obedience. He said he lowered himself to the point in of humanity, not just to being a human, but the furthest extent of being a human, to the extent of death. And not just any death, not just a, a normal death where you pass away in a hospice house. Not just death, but a death through suffering. Of the greatest display of humility and humiliation, the death reserved for a criminal, the death reserved for a rebel, the death reserved for a slave, Jesus would pay it all on the cross. And this cross was no ordinary way of dying. This is called crucifixion. Matter of fact, it's the most painful, degrading, excruciating death ever devised in all humanity. And Jesus would choose that for us. Amen? I mean, it's amazing to think of the humility that Jesus would walk through to get to the cross. In humble obedience, he submitted himself to the Father, and he left himself an example for us to follow, to put others above ourselves, that we put other interests above ourselves, that we pour our lives out for humanity, that we be salt and light to the world, not looking at ourselves, but like stars that people can't help but to see. We show ourselves in our suffering to the world and point people to Jesus. That, you know, there's no greater honor than partnering with Jesus and suffering. There's no greater honor than walking the path. And we all suffer in life. Paul called this life the burden of life. And every season, I mean, it doesn't matter how, I mean, there's great seasons, right? And it's awesome. But there's always a struggle we carry. And that struggle, we just do what Christ does and we humble ourselves and we, we follow Christ. So the question this morning is how low are you willing to get? Like, would you lower yourself to the point of death? Like, how far would you follow Jesus? Are you willing to serve at a level that would bring honor to Jesus' death? To a level of saying, man, that's a life worthy of the gospel. Would you go and tell somebody the good news at any cost, at every cost, no matter the cost, no matter where you, your sense? Verse 9 says this, because Jesus is obedient to death, his humble obedient to the cross, obedience to the cross, verse 9 says, therefore, in light of this voluntary humiliation of this great obedience, God the Father, as he was talking about, his dad, exalted Jesus to the highest place. All of a sudden, Jesus, who's now, you would think, is defeated in the lowest point, being murdered on a cross, is now exalted to the highest point you could ever be in, at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Amen? I mean, you talk about, like, uh, the first shall be last, Right? Um, that, he, that, he, that God exalts those that are meek and humble and lifts them up. And this is what happened to Jesus. He was exalted to the highest place. But for Jesus, this wasn't new. Like, he's always been in the highest place, amen? And so this kind of points to something very special. It points to Jesus' uniqueness, his absoluteness as being the God-man. Like, all of a sudden, you have Jesus who lowered himself into humanity, now exalted in the highest place. Now they're saying, hey, let me point out this humanity for all eternities. Listen to this. Therefore, God exalted in the highest place, and gave, after a lifelong submission of humility, he gave him a name that's above every name, that the name of who? The name of, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I, I don't want you to miss this. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. The name of Jesus. Think about all the names that God the Father could have given in that moment but he gives the name Jesus. You know where Jesus' name came from? Yeah, he came, he came when he became a human. Matthew 1, 21. 
When, Je- when Jesus, when the dream that Joseph had about Mary conceiving this supernatural conception, and the angel told Joseph, he said, you're gonna give him a name, his name's to be Jesus. And he refers back to Isaiah, and you're gonna call him Emmanuel, God with us. And then when Jesus was born, they named him Jesus in verse 23. The name of God that we all bow down to and is the highest point of all eternity is God's earthly name, Jesus. Now think about this name, Jesus. Jesus actually comes from the Old Testament, Yahweh. It's the most sacred name ever given to God. You heard of Jehovah, Joshua, Jesus. It's, just, it's all the same name. It's, it's in reference to who God is. And the name Jesus means this. And it's, this is what's declared for all eternity, the highest name of all names, the name that every single human, every, every demon, every angel, entire population of heaven and in hell, every intelligent created being will bow a knee to this name, Jesus. And that name Jesus, it literally means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. The Lord saves. That's the highest name given to God, amen? Come on, thank you, Jesus, that he saves, amen? I mean, it's the name above all names. It's amazing because we're like the middle of something that's so big, and yet we don't pick up the Bible sometimes. Like sometimes we forget, we get wrapped up in our diagnosis and our, our financial situations, and then we forget, man, we serve Jesus. Like we're in something so much bigger than ourselves. And so we can't get lost in this world, amen? Citizens of heaven and suffering, we follow the example of Jesus. And it's a name that God exalts them over all, every single name. And verse 11 says, and every tongue will acknowledge or confess that Jesus is Lord. This might be the most unifying moment in all humanity when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God, the Father. And you think about this, this knee will bow, right? And the tongue will confess. And for some people, it will be willing and blessed. And for some people, it will be unwilling and painful. And we make that decision, what we do with Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. And, and, and there's no getting around that one day we all, whether we wanna do it here or not, will bow a knee and confess with our mouth and admit that Jesus is Lord. And we'll say, we'll all say, wherever we're at, we'll all say, the Lord saves, the Lord saves. It's, it's, this is the God we serve. And if you're a Christian, you're like, thank you, Jesus, right? And, and, and as a Christian, we run with the good news that this God would humble himself low enough to come to our world and die for us. And so we stand firm in our faith. I think about one word, if you were to read this, and this is something we did on a missions trip this year. And um, if you read this section, uh, six through 11, there's kind of a, a theme that sticks out with Jesus. Uh, there's a verse in John 20, 21, it says, as the Father, this is Jesus talking, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so this 6 through 11 is how Jesus was sent. And you see the words in there like humbly, obedience. You'll, you'll see these words as he's looking to his Father's will. And so as I read through this scripture, the word that sticks out to me is that Jesus was submissive. Like Jesus submit himself to the will of the Father. That Jesus put himself in the subjection of the will of the Father. And so as we live our lives, it shouldn't really be too big a sacrifice to serve Jesus. It shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to read the Bible. It shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to give it all away. It shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to be extremely irrationally generous. It shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to share the gospel. It shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to go and tell. And it shouldn't be too big a sacrifice to endure hardship for Christ. If you ever get too discouraged, just look at Jesus, amen? 
look at this passage of scripture and go, man, that's that, I, I, I could never and never ever have been that humble. Thank you, Jesus, for it on the cross for me. I get the privilege of suffering with you in this life. We have suffering, but man, we have something more important. We have Jesus, amen. It says in verse 12, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, because the Philippian church had been obedient as Paul was teaching the scripture, they obeyed. And it says, not just in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So now here's Paul in prison and they're still following Christ, they're still being obedient to Christ and being obedient to the Father. He says this, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now this verse 12 will trip people up, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And some people would say, well, you know, you gotta earn salvation. You gotta work out your salvation, you gotta figure it out. And what he's saying in this scripture is completely different. What he's saying is, look at the picture of Christ and how he submitted and how he humbled himself. And Christ can do that because he is God. And he, he says, continue to work out your own salvation, fear and trembling for as God who works in you to will and act order to fulfill his good purpose. What he's saying is you can continue to progress in your salvation, not because you're so great and you can be humble, but because just like Christ on the cross, he is in you and can help you to be humble. So you continue to work out your salvation. You continue to obey Christ. You continue to pursue the things of Christ, not trying to earn your salvation, but trying to live out what God is trying to do in your life. It's a call to progress in your salvation, to work towards the things of Christ. And you say, well, I can't be that humble. It's like God is in you, amen? In this generation, you're like, well, I don't know if I can do this. Well, that's good because Christ will do it in you. Like we can put others' interests above ourselves. It's not natural. We'll do it because Christ did it. And so what he's saying as you work out your salvation, you can continue to pursue the things of God in your life with fear and trembling. And this fear is just like this awestruck, like reverent respect of God. But this trembling is like that nervous trembling get before you take a test that you're gonna like mess it up, right? And you said there should be some nerves with following Christ and, and saying, man, I just wanna mess this up for Jesus. Like I don't wanna get in the way. Like I don't just be my selfish interest to get in the way of the things of Christ. And so he says, for God that works. Think about this. It's God that stimulates all the work that happens in your life. When you work out your salvation, it's God that stimulates the life change. It's not you, but it's God in you, amen? God's the agent of change for his will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. And so he says, for God who works in you to will, it's actually God that gives you the desire to even will. It's actually God that gives you the desire to even act. And so ultimately, like, it's really not about your ability. It's about Christ's ability in you and how willing your humility is to let Christ work in your life. That's really all different. And we all can do that, amen. We all couldn't go get a PhD, but we all can be humble, amen. And by the way, we'll say it's a lot easier to be humble than it is to be perfect. I'm just saying, Dine tells me all the time, right? <laughs> just get humble, man. You're never gonna be perfect. Just get out of the way, right? Philippians 2.14, this is, uh, as God works in you, we follow Christ's example. In verse 14, he says, and th I love that. This, this is the first thing that Paul does to play this out, by the way. I mean, he's like, stay, if you're suffering, then be united, and put others in of yourself, just like Jesus. And then because God's working in you, you can do this. And the first thing he tells us as a mark of being humble, listen to this, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Wow. First thing that, that he says is, well, the mark of being humble is that you shut your mouth. Come on, somebody. The, the mark of humility is, is, is you stop yapping. You stop complaining. The word for grumbling, it means complaining or murmuring about your circumstances. Kind of this like, 
grumbling about all the things in life. Man, there's so many people like this. We don't need to talk about it much longer, right? And then and the arguing, this idea of arguing is just to argue for argument's sake. It's just a skeptic by nature. And it's really somebody who is intellectually challenging God. It's, this is a person that's just in rebellion because they're so much smarter than God. And he's saying, don't do, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can become blameless. This is the reason why you don't argue. The reason why you don't complain is so you can become blameless. So your life can be, can, cannot be critiqued by somebody that's evil. They can look at you and have nothing to say. You ever stood in front of uh, somebody who accused you of something and it was wrong and they had nothing to say when you, you stared them down? So what do you guys say about it? And just, I've been there a few times, man. And it just can't be critiqued. So he says that you may become blameless and what? Pure. Blameless and pure, and that word for pure is unadulterated, means sincere, used a pure wine or like an unalloyed metal. It's just like all the way through pure. Now I want you to just food for thought, verse 15, so you become blameless and pure. So the reason of why you don't grumble and complain is because that's a mark of humility. And when you do that, you become blameless and pure as children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now, there's so much to say in this passage because verse 15 is actually reference to chapter 1, verse 9. Like Paul prayed for this church, and his prayer was that your love would abound more and more in Christ Jesus so you can discern what's best, and he says what's pure and blameless. And so when he's telling them not to argue and complain and grumble, he's actually giving them advice of how to live out the very prayer that Paul had for the church. He said to be blameless, to be spotless, to be perfect, be pure, be unadulterated. And he said, as children of God without fault, that word without fault means you're above reproach, you're without blemish, and a warped and crooked generation. Now, you, you probably don't know that, but this piece of scripture, that children of God through a warped and crooked generation, that's actually a direct quote from Deuteronomy 35, verse 32, verse 5. It's absolutely incredible because Paul, he's quoting this passage because he would have memorized Deuteronomy. And if you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of entertain this for a little bit because I was sitting there reading this last night. It just all kind of hit me. This is so crazy. But Paul, who wrote Philippians, he was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. And he wrote Philippians. He would have memorized the first five books of the Bible at the time he was eight years old. So there's, at the end of those first five books, the Pentateuch is what it's called. Moses wrote these first five books. At the end of the last book, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is written in the last 30 days of Moses' life. Moses is dying. He knows he's dying. And so he puts down like his, his, his final challenges, his final thoughts, his heartbeat. And he, he tells them like, you're all walking away from God. Like the writing's on the wall. Like you're gonna serve yourself. And so he writes a song. And so this is actually a quote from the song that Moses wrote in, in chapter 32. And that song is a song that is designed that you would teach your children in the generations to come and they would turn back to God. It was a song that highlighted who God was and pointed to the things of God and the truth of God. And because he knew the generation was going to slip, but this would return it back to him. And so Paul would have like known this song like by heart, inside and out. And so as he writes Philippians chapter 2, and he says, be in humility and put others above yourself, he refers back to the song of the very purpose of why Moses wrote this song, that the world would turn back to him. And so Philippians is like fulfilling, in a lot of ways, what Moses wanted to accomplish in his generation. And so verse five of 32 says this, he says, they are corrupt and not his children. They're not God's children. He says, in their shame, they are warped and crooked generation. And so what Paul is saying is by hum humbling yourself and not complaining and following Christ, that you are children of God now, amen? 
that you are changed, even in a wicked or a crooked and twisted generation, that you are changed. And I want you to read, I mean, I'll just read to you, but just listen to this. This is why Moses wrote this whole song. It says, when Moses finished reciting all these words to Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They're not just idle words for you, they are your life. By them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Isn't that crazy? And as I read this last night, I thought, man, I gotta teach this song to my children. Amen. I mean, we gotta get into that. And for Paul, like this all came back to him like full circle. Like, hey, you wanna live it out while we're suffering and you wanna be the children of God? Man, get humble, get low, be blameless, get pure in this wicked or warped and crooked generation. Now that word for warped, it actually get the English word for scoliosis. And so in this world that's just bent, this world that's curved, this world that's straying from God's path, He's saying in this world, this crooked generation, there's another version that say perverse generation or those who deviate from God's path to the point of being twisted and broken. He said, if, if you wanna be blameless and pure in this world, and I think this may apply more today than any other time, then you humble yourself and you walk close to Jesus and you'll be a child of God in this season without fault. He said, then when you do these things, you will shine among them in this generation like stars in the sky. And the thing about stars is no matter if you like them or not, they always shine. They always come out. Even though even they're out there all the time, you just can't see them in daylight. They're above the clouds if there's cloud cover, but they're always there and that light always shines. And he calls us these children of stars to this generation. They were to show ourselves, we're to, be, to show off our spiritual character and not that we're good, but that Christ is good. And he says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And what he's simply saying is you humble yourself in this generation and you, you, you shut your mouth. Come on, somebody. And, and, and you're humble because if, if you don't complain, it means your heart's settled. And your heart's settled on things of Jesus. And as you walk through this world with all the suffering and things that happen, you just basically begin to shine your character because all of a sudden you're walking with God. And as you do that, you're shining as a light to those people. And it says, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and I, I think it's actually better translated because I'm actually gonna like push on the translation on this one. It actually means to hold forth the word of life. And so instead of like, oh, I'm walking through the world in the light and I'm holding on to the word of life firmly, right? It's better translated that I'm holding forth the word of life. So what happens is as you live in this world and you're following Jesus and you're steadfast, uh, think about Jesus going to the cross or just Jesus at all. Is there any verses in the Bible of Jesus complaining? Is there any verses in the Bible of Jesus murmuring or grumbling or whining? Is there any verses of, of, of him being a victim? Is there any verses? As a matter of fact, the thing about Jesus going to the cross is actually was complete opposite. It says it was like a sheep led to the slaughter and he shut his mouth. Man, there's just something powerful about being walking with God in, in not in complacency, but, but in contentment with Christ. And we, we walk content with Jesus and people go, how can you be so content in this crazy world? And he said, man, it's just not me. It's just Christ in me, man. And let me just share about Jesus. Let me just tell you about Jesus. And we, we hold forth the word of life. That's the gospel. And so we share Jesus, amen. The, the reason you get to share Jesus is because you're enduring through suffering only in the power and the humility of Christ that we get to share Jesus. Amen. 
We get to do this. And so if your idea of evangelism is to put a sign in your chest that Jesus saves or turn or burn or do some dumb thing on the sidewalk, I heard somebody about a story this morning. I'm like, dude, that's not how you witness, you know. You witness with your life. That's what you witness with. And your life speaks a word. And people look at that. They see your light. They see your life. And you speak up with boldness, amen. You speak and you share the word of life. You'll shine like stars. Verse 16, and then I'll be able to boast on that day of Christ, that day we come face to face, the same day of Christ they mentioned in, in uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 10, that day of Christ were glorified, that I didn't run or labor in vain. That Paul looked back on his life and he'll say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't waste my life because you guys are holding on to the word of life and you guys are being humble like Christ and I didn't, r- didn't run, the, didn't waste the ministry of God. He said, think about this, Paul's greatest fear is that he would have put his own interests above the interests of God that he would have gotten the way of the gospel. His, his prayer would have been less of me and more of you, God. Verse 17 is so powerful, but even if I'm being poured out, even if I'm being martyred, if I'm offered or sacrificed, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, like even if I'm killed because of Philippians' faith and me living on mission for the cause of Christ, Paul says, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. And he repeats to them, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What he's preparing them for is if he's killed, he's in a Roman prison, he has no idea if he's going to be executed or let free. He says, if, I'm, I'm not, if I don't make it out of here, don't, hey, man, I'm rejoicing. Come on, somebody. And you should rejoice with me because this is the plan of God in the suffering. He's preparing them for, like, the worst news that they could possibly get. And so as he's saying, being poured out like a drink offering, this is a really interesting idea. Uh, in the Old Testament, a drink offering would have been uh, something the Jews would have known. Uh, they, would have, they would have seen, uh, he wasn't speaking to a lot of Jews in this moment, but in his past, he would have known this. And what it simply is, is they take this offering and they would, they'd burn it to God. It's whatever it would be, a ram or any, any, any animal sacrifice that they'd give to God. And they'd burn it and they'd take this drink offering, which was wine. And they'd take it and they'd, there's this thing that was on fire. You can imagine like you got your roasted pig out there, right? And they'd dump that wine on that offering. But what happened is it would evaporate, obviously, and that steam would rise up. And it was a picture to symbolize that that offering was acceptable and was rising to God. And so what Paul is saying is, is even if I'm being poured out on the ministry, like even if the works I did in this church and and the, the things I do for Christ and the gospel I present, even if I die as a drink offering, I know my life was well spent. I know what I did was approved to God, was acceptable to God, was worthy to be raised to God. Amen? That's a good place in your life when you can look back and say, you know what, I ran my race. I know exactly what God did in my life. And if I'm being poured out in this moment, thank you, Jesus, because I did everything I could for the sake of Christ. Isn't it incredible to think about? We got to get there, don't we? We, we got to live so on mission, not like come to church, like live on mission for Christ in our lives. That we see ourselves like, man, if I'm getting poured out, so let it be. Like, I'm, if I'm an offering to you, God, just let it be. Like, that's, that's his prayer. That's his heart. Whatever it takes, it's worth it. He's going to lead the way. He goes on this section. It's, it kind of changes gears. So it's Timothy. He's going to talk about Timothy, then Epaphroditus, and say some words for them. It's just super powerful. But verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, Timothy was a son of faith. You can learn about him. Flip to the right a few books. You were there a little bit ago. Um, but he says, Timothy, to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, um, that no one else is like him. He says, I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. And he says, I have no one like him. There's no one like Timothy. Timothy is the only person, the, and his idea of no one like you means one sold. 
That means a kindred spirit. He says, no one, there's no one like Timothy who genuinely shows concern for your welfare. Verse 21, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so we, all of a sudden he's like, hey, there's this Timothy guy and he's a partner in the faith. He's a son of faith. He's a protege in the faith. He's with me. And I wanna send him back to the church. And I love the sin of the people. But Timothy is the only one that shows any interest to you. I mean, I thought about that for a long time. Like to be the one in our generation. Would it be cool to be the one in our generation? But it's also interesting to think that there was only one. And oftentimes when you follow Christ, you're gonna feel like the only one. I mean, I came to Christ, I was the only one in my family. And you almost feel like you're staying alone sometimes with Jesus, and he does it on purpose a little bit. But you stand up for the things of Christ and everybody's interested in their 401ks and their protégés and their pedigrees and all the things, all the scores, all the world. There's just a few people that are interested in things of Christ. The challenge is to be the one, amen? The challenge is to forsake everything else and say, you know what, I'm gonna be interested in the things of God. That's my number one ambition, to be interested in the things of Christ. And for Paul, there was only one, there was just Timothy. In stark contrast to Christ, who humbled himself and put the interests of others above everybody in that generation, and that word for interested, it been, there was a culture of people being uninterested. They were continually interested in themselves and Paul's only, or Timothy's the only person that was interested in the church. And so I, th- I think about Timothy often in this scripture because I'm like, man, to be a Timothy, to be the one maybe out of the hundreds I said, man, I, I'll, I'll go on with Jesus. Like, I'll support that. Like, whatever it takes, wherever we gotta go. Isn't it incredible to think about? I mean, only Paul had one. So, but you know that Timothy, verse 22, has proved himself because as a son with his father has served with me in the work of the gospel. That's, he, he led him to Christ and he was a servant together with Paul. So I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He's confident he's gonna make out that prison song and, and get to the Philippian church. If you read the very end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, verse 30, there's two verses at the very end and it's actually Paul gets released from prison. And it says he never ceases to preach the gospel with boldness. And that's how the book of Acts ends. So Paul very well may have gone back to the church of Philippi. He had the freedom to do so, he was out of prison. So maybe his prayer in his heart came true. Verse 25 moves on to Aphroditus. He says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you, Aphroditus, my brother, he names four things here. He calls him a brother, a coworker, fellow soldier. I love that. I love when I find a fellow soldier, amen. You ever, you ever had a fellow soldier with you? Somebody's just gonna go hard for the things of Christ or for the, the mission. And he calls him a fourth thing. He says, who is also your messenger? Aphroditus was sent by the church of Philippi to minister to Paul. He was a Philippian national. He, he, he was from the, the city of Philippi and he was sent on mission to care for Paul and stay with Paul and minister to Paul and to bless Paul. Matter of fact, what's interesting about um, Aphrodite is that he would have brought this letter back to the church of Philippi. He would have been the one that probably read it out loud to the church that Sunday morning and said, guys, let me tell you something, what's happening with Paul. Isn't that amazing to think about? That this is his story. Now think about us as real life. I think, man, we gotta be kind of church that is a sending church. 
we need to send out people like Epaphroditus to, to support national pastors and people across the world, people like Ugo. And, and there's something special that happens when you show up, not just send support, but you actually show up in person, you're gonna see here. Verse 26 says, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard, you heard he's ill. So Epaphroditus is now worried and he's full of sorrow and he's full of grief, he's restless because he's more interested in the church than he was his own situation. He was worried that they were worried. It kept him up at night that they were anxious. Like he is like, man, this, this bothers me. They think I'm really sick and I'm, I'm gonna die. He was burdened with the church. Verse 27, indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not only him, but also me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. That the Philippian church could put it rest. They see him walk in, like, man, this guy's healed. We had all the rumors spreading that you were dying and you almost died, but here you are. Thank you, Jesus, you came home safe. Verse 29, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Man, honor people like him. The word honor means that to prize people like him, to, to hold in high esteem people like him. People who are leaders to the cause of Christ. People who take ground, people who risk it all in faith. Verse 30, last verse. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He, what? He, what's it say? He, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And what he's saying is, as much as you sent prayers and maybe you sent finances, as, mu as much as we're partnered together, there's something that only takes place in person. There's only something that takes place when Epaphroditus actually shows up and does something for my soul. It encourages me. There's something that only takes place. You couldn't do that in your absence. And although you wanted to be here, the Church of Philippians wanted to be with Paul, but you sent somebody. And that's the kind of church we gotta be. We gotta build each other up and esteem others above ourselves and move the gospel forward. And that word for risk is so amazing. When he says he risks his life, that word means to gamble with high stakes. It's the same word used for like somebody at that time that's found in other writings that would take legal um, representation of somebody to an emperor. How's that gonna work out for you? You're gonna get beheaded and thrown in the den of lions, but you're willing to take the cause, right? It's the same word used for a gladiator that goes into an arena to fight a battle. And so here's Epaphroditus who took a great risk for the cause of Christ. And I think about our church, and I think about our season, and I think about our culture, and I think about how much risk we're willing to take for the cause of Christ. Like how far we're really willing to go for God. In the context of all that Paul says that we're to suffer, we're gonna suffer, but we're united in our suffering, esteeming others' interests above ourselves because Jesus esteemed us above himself and gave the greatest example so we don't complain. We shut our mouths so we shine like stars to a generation that needs hope. And every time they look at us, we say, it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. He's just done all the work in my life. And there's people like Timothy, who's the only single one that showed that kind of interest. There's people like Epaphroditus that risk it all for the gospel. Man, what an example we have to follow today, amen? And we need to be that kind of church, the kind of church that's not on our heels, the kind of church that's bold, the gospel, and they say, who wants to pray for Thanksgiving? Come on, somebody. And you're like, I'll pray. And you pray the most God-fearing prayer of humility in the world. And you earn that right because you walk with Christ, amen? It's not a burden to do the work of God. And we get to be a light to this generation. And we get to point people to Christ. We get to humbly serve, even if to death, I mean, what an honor that God would choose us to carry the gospel, amen? To our generation, 
I think it was John Wesley, maybe somebody different. He said, if you, if, if you gave me 10 men that are passionate about God, that pray on their knees, pursue the things of Christ, we light the world on fire with the gospel. Just 10 men. And I often think about like the Timothy or the Aphroditus, like how many of us are gonna be that kind of people for the cause of Christ? What in the world could stop us? We got the greatest mission in the world, amen? We can't hide that. We, we gotta start standing up and we gotta get close to this, amen? We gotta stand in the light. The world's dying for answers, man. They're dying for a purpose. We can have these conversations, can't we? We, we can, and we should. And I'm serious, the next week you come up here, you wanna quote some scripture, we'll not preach a message, amen? You'd be like, this week, God did this in my life. I had to share the gospel with this person. Maybe pray for so-and-so because they had a great conversation about Christ. I was going to shine a light to him. And God showed me this through his word. And I memorized this. And I'll just let you go person after person. And I will never preach a message again. That's the church. Amen. And so we all can do this and play a part of this. Father, we come before you. God, I pray for um, your word that has been planned in our hearts today. God, pray for us as Christians, God. It just can show us in our hearts how to follow you and lead into you. God, I pray for humility. God, we would never be a church of complaints or division, but we'd hold forth the word of life. God, I know you're speaking to hearts today. God, so just humble us, God. We're looking to you as an example. We pray for a group of people today specifically. That's those who say, you know what? The name of Jesus has not been in the highest place in my life. The name of Jesus has been in every place besides the highest place. I use it in a lot of places, just not in the throne. And today you're like, you know what? I need Jesus. I recognize for the first time in my life that Jesus loved me enough to die on the cross for me, humble himself for me, that I can have life in him. In the name of Jesus, I'll cry out today, the Lord saves, be forever different. The Bible says that anybody calls the name of the Lord Jesus, be saved, forgiven, and made new. And so today you can know Jesus and you can put him on that place and the throne in your life willingly and be blessed by Jesus. And so today, if you need Jesus, you feel a spirit move in your life today, you recognize, man, there's so much more of this word of God. I'm, man, I'm, I'm seeing it today. The Spirit's moving your life today. If you need Jesus, nobody looking around, not gonna call you out. But if you need Jesus, start relationship with him. Just put your hand high in this place. Say, man, I need Jesus. Just put your hand up in this place. God is moving in you today. Come on, I see your hand. We all say, I need Jesus. It's a moment for you. See your hand as well. And be like, man, I need Jesus. It's you and God. That's you, you just gotta pray a prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you, it's the heart of humility towards Christ. To say, Jesus, thank you for humbly dying on the cross for me, becoming sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God. It's only through you, Jesus. I'll put you on the throne today. I've never put you on the throne of my life, but today I'm putting you on the throne of my life. God changed my life. God will serve you. God poured out as an offering for you, God. There's nothing I can do to earn this. I can't keep it. I've got to owe you everything. And thank you for this new life. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give some praise to Jesus. Come on, the name of all names, Jesus. Come on. What a reminder today, man. 30 power-packed verses, right? About the humiliation of Christ, his chosen insufficiency for us, his sacrifice. And so if today is the day where you say, you know what, I decided today to follow Jesus for the first time. Today is the first day that I would say, I've heard about Jesus, but I've never started a relationship with him personally. Today, we want to celebrate with you. And we have some steps that you can take to help you on this journey. 
And so the first one is this, that we have this book behind me on the screen called Begin. It's an easy read, about 100 pages, really going to help you get started on those next steps in your journey with Jesus. If you would just take that connection card on your seat and check the box that says, I've committed my life to Jesus, we will mail you this book this week. We would love to celebrate with you to get this in your hands as you start on that journey. And also, if you're here with us in person today, we have on the table out on the way back a bunch of Bibles in bags. And it would be our greatest joy for y'all to clean out that table and say, you know what, we needed to get the Bible in people's hands. And so if you need a Bible, grab one. If you started a relationship with Jesus today, grab one. You can start the Read Me Challenge with us through Philippians. We want to celebrate with you what God is doing in your life and to connect with you on that journey. Sean talked about standing firm in the Word of God. Man, there's so much in that passage. You break it down, you see all that Paul is trying to encourage that church in to do and to live and follow Jesus. And I love that idea, holding forth the Word of God. But today, if you haven't started yet with us, join us for the Read Me Challenge. What is the Read Me Challenge we've been talking about? We are reading the book of Philippians every day for 30 days for a month, getting that habit of God's Word in your life. It's not too late to jump in and start. I've listened to it on the Bible app in a few different versions. It takes between 12 and 15 minutes, depending on how fast you have it on there. It's great to throw in a variety of different ways, but get in the Word, open the Bible, read it. We have so much time when we really look at our day to say, you know what, I can spend 12 minutes with the Word of God this week. I heard this week today. I can spend, and then as you dive in and God starts to read you, change you, I know it's going to change your life when you see that. Because when you lean into what God's Word says, it doesn't just shape you. It shapes your soul for eternity. And then what happens is it shapes eternity because now you are equipped to give the Word of God out to other people. And so we're going to start a new challenge today. You're taking the Read Me Challenge. Good job. High five. You're doing it. Keep doing it. Have that month. But today we're starting a challenge called the Bring Me Challenge. And so I want you to think there's got to be somebody in your life, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a family member, somebody you know that says, you know what? They need to hear this story of the humiliation that Jesus took for me. Somebody in my life needs to know what God did for them. They need to know about this great love of Jesus. Somebody needs to know. And so starting today, we challenge you to take that challenge and share the word of God, what he's doing in your heart with someone else. Share with them, send them a text, think of them, you're praying for them. Open up that gospel conversation and you can be a conduit to take the word of God to somebody else's life. And so the challenge extends. It starts today, but it carries through to say, next week, don't come alone. Invite that person out to sit with you, to hear about the word, to see what God is doing in your life, to see what God can do through the word of God, through your life surrendered to him. But start today praying. Who is that person? Start inviting today, praying for them, asking them, inviting them, sharing with them what God is doing in your life through the challenge and say, you know what? This is making a difference in me and I know it will make a difference in your life. So I hope you'll join us on the Bring Me Challenge along with the Read Me Challenge. It's just a cool season to see what God is doing through his word in the lives of people at real life. So don't come alone next week, but start today in really inviting and investing in people who need to hear the word of God. Um, last is this. We can't tell you everything awesome that's happening in real life from this stage, but we have an email that comes out every week. We have separate emails for youth, for kids, for our whole entire church. So if you're not getting those, that connection card is your chance to put your email address on there, drop it in the bucket, and we will get those emails out to you. We'd love you to stay connected to all the things that God is doing week in and week out here at Real Life.
And so I hope you know, Sean alluded to it, um, just the life changes happening, the way that we are able to um, just bless our community and our global partners, but your generosity is making a difference. And we're ready to take some ground for the gospel. We've seen 60 people come to Christ this year, 30 people baptized. It's incredible. We're seeing just God moving through our different partnerships that we have here and across the world. And so know that when you're generous at real life, it is really making a difference in the kingdom. It allows us to do what we are doing now, but it's going to open the door for us to do even more. And so um, there's a few ways you can get involved in generosity. You can go to reallifechurchkc.com, click give. You can text any dollar amount to 84321, or we have a giving box in the back that's more convenient for you to drop cash or check in there with envelopes back there. Our buckets are going to pass in just a second. And so if you're new with us, this gathering was our gift for you. We hope that you had an incredible time today. But if you're joining us today and you're in immediate need of food, clothing, or shelter, I'd invite you to please reach into that bucket, grab any loose cash that you see in there. We want it to be a blessing to you and your family in a time of need today. And so let's pray. God, you're good. And we just thank you for the ability to be on mission for what you're calling us to do, God. I pray we would be people of the word, God, that we would read it and we would let it read us to change our lives, God. And then ultimately that outpouring of what you're doing in our hearts allows us to bring people to you, God. Give us somebody on our mind and our heart today who needs your word. Give us somebody that we can reach out with the word of life to and that we can be a conduit to taking the gospel outside of these walls to people that you have put that are close to us, God, but far from you. We thank you for your opportunity to serve you, to worship you together today, and we're excited to see what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful day in the house. I hope you all leave today feeling encouraged by that message straight from the word. I uh, would also invite you all to continue the conversation. Uh, use those talking over questions from the YouVersion app and go over those with your families, with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, um, and, and really dive into those even deeper this week. Um, do want to remind everyone, we do have child dedications coming up in two weeks, Sunday, November 5th. Um, you can sign up on the email that Diane mentioned um, or online if you'd like to have your child dedicated this fall. Um, as always, we will have a team member at the stage following the gathering for prayer if you need that for any reason. Um, and as always, uh, whoever finds Jesus discovers real life and purpose. We'll see you next week. This is the end of this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another inspirational podcast. For more great content and updates, visit reallifechurchkc.com.